Hey everyone, John here. The episode you're about to hear is about Elmwood Park Zoo, and as you'll hear, it's basically a love letter to that wonderful place. It's my local zoo, my home zoo, and I love it. That's why I was devastated to learn that on August 4th, 2020, the tropical storm experienced along the East Coast caused a flash flood that did a ton of damage to the zoo. The incredible staff worked super hard to ensure that all animals and staff were safe and healthy, which is amazing. However, there was a ton of damage to the zoo itself. I was asked to go to the zoo on Wednesday, the day after the flood, and the day before this episode drops, to help clean up. It was amazing being an assistant keeper for a day. Along with Ryan, one of the incredible keepers there, I cleaned up the habitats of Rocky and Piper, the river otters, Lilo and Stitch, the Nene geese, and Penny, the alligator. It was such incredibly hard work, but I can tell you that I have rarely felt as proud of an accomplishment as I did when I saw those otters return home. To be even a small part of helping this incredible zoo bounce back from this storm meant the world to me. If you're interested in helping them, head to elmwoodparkzoo.org slash fund to make a donation. Any amount helps. And just to be clear, this isn't a paid advertisement or anything. They didn't even ask me to do this. I just really want to help support my friends at Elmwood Park Zoo. And you're about to understand why, because here's the episode. And you're calling AAA, and imagine that call to AAA is like, look, it's a van, it's a zoo van, and there's an otter in the back. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Raw Safari. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Raw Safari Podcast. For those of you who listen regularly, you'll know that I love to talk about the fact that I've been to 134 zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities so far. I'm such a goober, I keep an alphabetical list on my phone, and I get so excited every time I add a new name to the list. As much as I love going to all those cool places, there is something so special about having an awesome home zoo, and I'm lucky enough to have Elmwood Park Zoo less than 10 miles from my home. The truth is, it's not just the location that makes Elmwood Park my home zoo, though. I'm actually fortunate enough to have three zoos and an aquarium, all within about a 10-mile radius from my house. And while I love visiting all of them and support them all, I always call EPZ my home zoo. Why? Well, in part because of the incredible people there who managed to make me feel welcomed and special every time I walk through the gates. The staff and volunteers at the zoo are incredible passionate, and truly focused on taking care of their animals and their guests, as well as constantly pushing conservation and education every chance they get. It's a truly special place, so I'm excited to take you there with me this week to talk to Laura Houston, the Director of Education at Elmwood Park Zoo. Laura is the first zoo administrator I've had on the podcast, so we discuss a variety of interesting topics that are new to the pod, but don't worry, there are a ton of great animal stories in there. Before we get going, just a quick reminder, if you're enjoying this podcast, please click subscribe and take a moment to leave a five-star rating. This helps people find the podcast, and I'm all about getting these stories out to the masses right now. Also, a written review really helps with that goal. 
You can also support the podcast at www.patreon.com slash rossafari, where you can become a monthly supporter and get a bunch of cool bonuses. The Patreon and the merch at rossafari.redbubble.com will help keep the podcast ad-free. You can also check out the website at www.rossafari.com and hit up at Rossafari on all the major social media platforms. Okay, here's my interview with Laura Houston. Why don't you tell me who you are and what your title is and where we are? Sure. My name is Laura Houston. I am the Director of Education at the Elmwood Park Zoo, which is located in Norristown, Pennsylvania. Yeah, it is. And this is kind of my home zoo. I love it here exactly. so much. So thank you very much for uh, for encouraging me with this and letting me do this here. I'm really excited to be here. Um, what exactly does the Director of Education do? Are you teaching animals how to be animals? Or? <laughs> you know, sometimes. Sometimes we are. Sometimes we are teaching animals to be animals. Um, so it's really, it is one of those jobs that has an all-encompassing title to some degree. Um, it takes in I the basic is of course in educating guests, so that's everything from um, Zoo on Wheels programs that go out um, to communities to on-site programming to um, creating. We created a whole bunch of virtual programming during COVID. Um, so our base is making sure that we educate and we educate the guests, but it also the job itself encompasses um, the fact that I'm responsible for 111 ambassador animals 111 111 that's huge yeah 111 ambassador animals everything from porcupines to cockatoos to snakes and um that i have a fantastic team that does animal care for and they're all of our ambassador animals that go out to um educate the guests um but it's also a lot of things behind the scenes that people don't realize um i mean budgeting i think most people probably realize go into it but it's a lot of um program development, and it's also a lot of um, grant writing and uh, grant development and finding funding. And then it goes into things like market research and learning what your product should be worth. So that if I want to do a program, I've got to figure out across the country, across our field, across my competitors, um, you know, what to charge for that program. So there's a lot of things like that that go um, behind the scenes. I also am responsible for the volunteer program. So a lot of volunteer management, which goes into a lot of uh, human resources work as well. That's really cool. Um, so Elmwood Park Zoo, for those who are listening and don't know, is a is a pretty small zoo. But it is an amazing zoo, and it is AZA accredited and all the good mm -hmm. stuff. Um, do you find that because you're at a small zoo, you know, you have to take on a lot more of those roles? Would this be like four jobs at another zoo, or is it pretty common to have all that on one plate? No, it definitely is something a smaller zoo, you are taking on more roles. Absolutely. Um, one of the things I love the most about Elmwood Park Zoo is the fact that we do all pitch in. Um, nobody's above doing any, any job at all. In fact, you know, I spent some time making Easter baskets. <laughs> they were amazing, by the way. Yeah. Miles loved his. My son Miles is five That's years old. Awesome. And he loved it. And I have to tell you, the, the best part was, um, you know, there there were stuffed animals and there were cool things in there. Mm -hmm. And then there was some little silly game where, like, you could roll the ball through different, like, a little mm -hmm. maze with right. the ball. And I almost didn't even send that to him because I was like, oh, that's that's just a silly little thing, whatever. Mm -hmm. It was his favorite his thing favorite, for yeah. like a month. Right. And I was like, okay, this is like when you give, you know, a kid a toy and, and he plays with the box. Same right. kind of thing. And I just – but that made 
his month. He was so happy about it. So, you know, thank you guys for doing oh, that. That's that was awesome. really cool. Yeah, but there's things like that that uh, being at a small zoo, you, you just pitch in. Um, one of the things that I, 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 I do really like and respect about Elmwood is if we have a big event, uh, nobody's sitting in their office. Nobody, everybody, including our CEO, is you know, prepping food or, you know, unloading boxes. Um, so yes, definitely. If, if I were in a larger zoo, that would be uh, probably at least three, if not four people's different jobs. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for all that you do for the, the animals and, and people and stuff here. That's really cool. Um, so you're in an administrator position. Yes. Um, and you are the, the first zoo administrator I've talked to. So I'm pretty oh, excited about that. It's been a lot of keepers and some other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious, what, what's your background? How did you get here? Uh, do you have an animal background or how does this all work? So um, that's an interesting story. Um, Good. <laughs> I, um, I do not have an animal background. Um, so I, I, I like to tell people that, okay, so I'm, you know, not 19. Um, but, <laughs> Who is? Even know, 19 year olds exactly. aren't anymore, I think. Um, when, when I grew up, you didn't have Animal Planet. You didn't have um, a lot of these great shows, Wild Kratts or, or, or even uh, the Irwin shows. Um, you didn't have a lot of that. I had Mutual of Omaha, which was right. great, which was awesome. <laughs> um, but I, I, I always loved animals. And, um, but there just wasn't an outlet for me at that time. I knew I didn't want to be a keeper. Keepers are wonderful and fantastic and great. It's just not where my heart lies. Um, the same thing with veterinarian. I knew I didn't want to be a veterinarian. Um, it just wasn't where I'm not good at looking at surgery, not going to be good. Um, so, you know, back in the day, I didn't realize there were other careers at zoos. Um, so I went to college, um, Rutgers university in New Jersey um, and got graduate degrees in Renaissance literature. <laughs> okay. All right. So, and I did teach for 10 years. So I taught at um, college English for 10 years. And then I literally met somebody at a party who said, Hey, I work at um, Philly zoo. And I think you'd be great in education. You want to come? And I started part-time. So I started as a hobby. So I started part-time as a hobby. And then after, I don't know, three, four years, gave up my career teaching and, have been in the zoo field ever since, almost 20 years now. That's incredible. And you were at Philly for how long? I was at Philly for 16 years. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, for those listening, uh, Norristown and Philadelphia are pretty close to each other. Mm-hmm. It's it's about a 30 to 40 minute drive, depending on traffic, um, or two hours because it's Philly. Exactly. But generally 30 to 40 minutes. Uh, there are many days when I visit both zoos, and I'm very happy to do that. Um, so tell me about your time at Philly. And and Philly is a mm-hmm. much bigger zoo. So I'm, I'm curious uh, what that was like for you. It is. It's, it's a much bigger zoo in, in a couple ways. Um, so Norristown is is 16 acres is what we are on. Now we have more space to expand and, and, and in the future and lots of growth, growth plans. Um, Philly Zoo is 42 acres. So even physically, it's almost four times the size. Uh, the staff is probably, um, you can get upwards of 400 people in Philly Zoo when you get in season, uh, where we're maybe 200 in season with um, all the uh, seasonal employees. Um, so it is a very different world. It's two different worlds. Uh, Philly Zoo is a fantastic organization. There are tons of fantastic people that work there. Uh, I loved almost every minute of my time there. Um, I'm sure there were some times I was doing spreadsheets that I cursed and didn't love. <laughs> but um, I loved my time there. It's really a matter for me of what I wanted in my personal growth. And Elmwood 
being smaller but having a lot of growth potential. Because Elmwood is a zoo that has um, changed dramatically since 2012. It's a zoo that at one time was almost going out of business because we, we couldn't do it financially. Um, and then had a, a great CEO that we still have that came in, changed the zoo, made the zoo um, successful. We went from having something like, I think, 100,000 visitors a year to almost 700,000 visitors in one year. Wow. Um, so it... It was a, it's a zoo that's really, really growing and changing. And that was exciting and dynamic for me. Um, Philly, although there are lots of changes in growth, it's not the same. It's, it's a different. There's a lot of established. And I was looking for a little more like getting down in the dirt and getting my hands dirty. That's awesome. I love that. Uh, and when did you, when did you come here then? About what, two years ago? If I so I came correctly? here two years okay. ago. So cool. uh, May of 2018. That's awesome. Uh, well, they're very lucky to have you here. Thank you. Um, I have to say, you mentioned doing the digital content during mm-hmm. COVID. Um, I was so impressed by everything Elmwood Park Zoo did. Um, for me, as a performer, I lost my industry. And then with my mm-hmm. main hobby being going to zoos, and I lost zoos for a while, um, right. it was very hard when the, the pandemic started. And I started seeking out a lot of the digital content. And a lot of zoos put out a lot of cool stuff. But I can honestly say, and I promise I'm not just saying this because I'm here, <laughs> I was blown away by the um, the amount and the the just positivity and, and how good the digital content that Elmwood Park Zoo was putting out was. And also the stuff, like we mentioned, the the Easter baskets over Mm -hmm. Easter, stuff like that. Your fundraising stuff was awesome. You guys came up with so many ideas. And um, and I'm guessing you had a big hand in all of that. So um, nice job. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it was was a scary time for everybody. Uh, It's still a scary time. Yeah. uh, Where you, when, for the zoo industry, the primary months for us, especially in, in the Northeast, I mean, San Diego is probably slightly different. Um, but for us, you're talking that April, May, June, that's it. That's your sweet spot where you get all your school groups that come in. That's where you get a lot of your visitors come in. Um, yeah, we do a visitation, you know, in July and August and of course, September, October, but not like you do in that spring. So to lose those three months are, is, is really, really tough. Um, I have to credit my team a lot for that. Um, I gave them less than 24 hours notice and said, Hey, I think we should do Zoo School Live. I think we should do a daily program where we do classes. Can we start on Monday? Um, <laughs> and we we launched into it. Uh, the One thing I've told a lot of people is I didn't know anything about Facebook Live. I knew very little about recording <laughs> or any of that. And, you know, we quickly learned about um, using tripods or gimbals or something like that so you don't have movement. We, we didn't know anything when we started. We just knew we wanted to keep connecting to our guests. We wanted to keep getting education out there. We wanted to put something fun and positive out into a scary time for the whole world. And that's what that was our basis, that we wanted to do that. Well, y'all killed it. It was so great. Nice. And I will say, especially the um, Slash is the, the red panda here, and mm-hmm. I love Slash so much. Um, and the the Zoo Live with Slash, where he would just not cooperate. Yes. Um, knowing Slash's personality and, and having gotten to hang out with him and stuff mm-hmm. and, and see it firsthand um, – that was so real, and it made me feel like I was here. Like, even though I could imagine, I mean, as a performer, I know when something seems to be going wrong or something, it was probably very stressful for the people involved mm-hmm. and a little frustrating. But I can tell you, as somebody watching it, I felt so connected and so in the moment. And it was such a, a real thing that I just, I really loved it. It was funny because a lot of the team, they they worked so hard to 
um, create good content and create a good product. Um, and two of the ones that we worked on the hardest to get them ready to go. One of them was slash, um, just practice, <laughs> you know, just kind of gearing up for it and dreaming trial runs and practicing it. And of course, you know, he was like, yeah, I don't want any of it. Um, but I thought it was terrific. I thought it was great. Um, and the other one was when we had, um, Reggie, the bald Eagle mm-hmm. and we were, okay, this one's going to be great. We're going to do it. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. And we had technical issues two minutes in and the video dropped and we're like, no, <laughs> we worked so hard. But what was funny with them is what people responded to. Um, cause you think that, okay, that, you know, the Jaguars, oh, that's going to be a popular one. Um, I, you know, of course some of the, you know, the Eagle, that's going to be a popular one. But if you asked people when we did a couple polls, like the one with the rabbit hopping around was one of people's, you know, Oliver the Velveteen Rabbit <laughs> was by far the one that people requested that was most popular. That and Pokey the Porcupine, which Pokey you know, is amazing. Pokey is amazing. So, you know, Pokey's awesome. But people love that. And one that got such positive response and we were so thrilled about was when we did Rosie the Tarantula. Okay. Because we, you know, spiders, they have they have a reputation. Yes, they do. Not everybody likes them. Um, and one of our staff members, Marissa, was awesome that she personally is afraid of spiders. She's personally hesitant. Um, but has worked with Rosie the Tarantula a little bit. And she's the one who said, I'm going to do this because I'm going to tell people that I was nervous. That's awesome. And I'm going to tell people that I overcame it because she's so awesome. And we had multiple people say to us, you know, I didn't like them. You're, you're, you're changing my mind or I'm thinking better of it. And she became, cause we launched from there. We did, um, two series. We did a, a distance learning, which we still do. Um, where we do, you know, the, the lesson, um, the virtual lesson with a classroom or, or a family. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, and Rosie became one of our most popular requested animals. <laughs> so when you had a chance of a porcupine or anything like that, and then we had people over and over again, were like, well, can we have Rosie? And we're like, well, sure. Of course you can have Rosie. That's amazing. Um, which was great. That was, that was super awesome. That's funny that you said that. I actually have a goal and I, I haven't said this on the podcast yet, but I'll, I'll put it out there into the world now. Um, I'm an arachnophobe, a really mm. bad one. And I have worked on it over the last couple of years to the point where when it comes to small spiders, I don't kick them out of the house. Or if I do, I, mm-hmm. I, I let them live. I don't kill them. But I have some that I've let live. Like there's, there's one that lives in my bathroom. And I was like, this is good. You can be my, my friend and mm-hmm. I can you know, learn a little bit more. Because I know spiders are, are great animals and they're great for the ecosystem and they're, they're not going to hurt you. you know, some can, mm-hmm. but only if you try to hurt them. Um, I know all that logically, but I'm still deathly afraid. And one of my eventual goals with this podcast is to sit down with an arachnid keeper and to finally get over that last hump and let a tarantula walk on me. And that is, I'm, I have goosebumps. You can see them. I have I goosebumps them, yeah. literally just saying mm-hmm. it. But I know it's stupid and I've been working mm-hmm. on it and I want to keep working on it until I am comfortable with that. Because I think that's, I mean, that's just good personal growth, but also right. like, how can you claim to love animals? And then, oh, I secretly hate this one, you know? Well, so I'm working on it. I agree. I think it's one of those that um, I can understand people, you know, saying things like I have, have a healthy respect for an animal. Um, I can even, even if people tell me, you know what, it's not my favorite, but I respect it. Right. And I can understand it. And I'm like, that that's fine with me. So that goal of getting people to just at least respect 
And you and who have you seen Lucas the Spider videos? No, I have not. Oh, you have to have to do. What Luke. is this? Is this a YouTube thing? Or? It's a YouTube okay. thing. Look for Lucas the Spider. It might win you over. Just saying. Awesome. Yeah. No. Like I said, I know it logically. Mm-hmm. I, I read something um, online, and I don't know if it was true. I didn't. I haven't done a ton of research, but it said that. Um, Fear of spiders and snakes, like an irrational fear of mm-hmm. them, comes from just being disquieted by how they move. Mm-hmm. And that they have uh, – the people who did this study, and again, I don't know how good of a study it was, but um, said that they were not able to find anyone who was afraid of both. Because there's either something in how snakes move that scare you or something in how spiders move that scare you. But that both mm-hmm. will not disquiet you. And I don't know why that is. And again, I don't even know how true this right. is. I'll, I'll do more research before I put this into the world. But um, I feel like – that that's true though i don't think i've run into anybody that's afraid of both no i love mm-hmm. i love snakes right i i you could drop me in a room with 100 snakes right now mm-hmm. and i would just be happy but right. one spider in that room and i'm <laughs> <laughs> fair enough yes so um tell me uh we talked a little bit about what the differences are between working at a big zoo and a small zoo um i'm i'm curious in an education capacity do you at a small zoo do you get to work with a lot of animals still um, I do. I work with a bit more than I, I did at Philly. Um, one of the advantages and disadvantages um, as you move through a career in education is I moved away from the actual handling of animals um, where I was handling every single day um, to doing more grant writing about people handling animals um, or doing more program design about people handling animals. Um, but definitely at a smaller zoo, you get more you get more opportunities. It also depends on the zoo. Um, Philly Zoo, for example, the animal care is done by the keeper team. The educators, strictly your educators. Elmwood, the educators do the animal care for the animals that they're working with. Um, I happen to really like that system better because you're working with animals that you know, that you really, really get to know. Um, And every organization is different based on their different needs. Definitely a smaller zoo, you do get much more opportunity to get uh, to work with animals directly to get hands-on on animals very cool i'm finding it really interesting as i talk to people from zoos all around the country um how different that kind of stuff is and mm-hmm. how um the episode so my first episode went live today uh, as we're recording Ooh, this congratulations it's live. thank you and um it's an interview with jake belair who does ambassador uh, animal work at the nashville zoo mm-hmm. and they have the same system that you do even though that is a pretty darn big zoo yeah um but he is a keeper he takes care of the animals and he does the the present presentations mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And um, I guess I can see the advantage to the other side of it. But at the same time, mm, I just think like once you hear, um, you know, listen to the episode, you'll hear his passion or just hearing mm-hmm. you talk about it. I, I think it's pretty obvious that when you work with these animals that you also love and take care of, it, it builds a really special bond. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. But I, I think that's important. I think that's really cool. I think it's important. And if you just look at it too, for me, like um, I, I, we, we work in the barnyard, um, a lot with the, with the goats. Um, so I was just, even this afternoon, I was training a new volunteer to work in the barnyard and by going in there, I can, by working with them, I, I know the goats names. I know this one likes to be scratched behind their ears. I can, I know when I go in there that Marlon's going to come up and engage with me. And that lets me create a better guest experience when I can share that. Definitely. And I think that, I think that the the world of zookeeping is changing, in that the aspect of a zookeeper um, just taking care of animals is so different now. That in the last 
10, maybe a little bit more than that years, that need and desire to communicate and talk to the public is very, very different. So when you have, um, for me, when you have a separation between that, I, I think it's, it makes it that much harder. Makes sense. That's, mm-hmm. uh, that's really cool. So, um, I always joke and I promise it's a joke, um, <laughs> that I wish that, uh, zoos were adult only. Because, you know, kids can uh, can sometimes, uh, you know, be loud. And, and I, I have a five-year-old. I say this completely <laughs> out of love and respect for children and, and mm-hmm. all of that. But, um, you know, you're focused a lot on, on the kids with the education mm-hmm. stuff. So tell me why I'm wrong and tell me what's amazing about the connection with kids and animals and all of that. So, uh, you know, the, the corny, the children are our future. Um, it, making the connections to some degree, adult, I, I love I love working with adults and adult um, adult education. Um, one of my favorite programs, the zoo, is I love to do the animal mating programs with adults and just share all the weird and crazy fun stuff that there is surrounding animal mating, which is probably a whole other podcast. I was going to say, do. let's come back on okay. to that one. <laughs> exactly. We can do that one as another podcast because there, there's just so much there that's so fascinating. But to some degree, adults are already set. They either like animals or they don't like animals or they love animals or they're passionate about the conservation. Um, they're, they're, to some degree, they're set. Where kids are not, kids are a blank slate. Um, and they come in, for the most part, come in and everything is, is, is fascinating and wonder. And to watch a kid see a jaguar for the first time or see the bald eagle for the first time is just amazing. And to know that by... I always tell my interns and volunteers, I said, you never know. You could tell a kid a goat's name and you don't think it's anything. You say, oh, that's that's Dante the goat. But you don't know how that kid makes that connection and then might be more interested in goats and then may read about goats and then may go to a farm to see the goats and, you know, someday end up, you know, working in goat conservation. Uh, you just never know where it is. It's just it's just a blank slate. For, but for me, it's the, the wonder of joy of the blank slate that are kids. And that's coming from somebody who has none. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Yeah, no, it's, it's really interesting um, to see that. And that's, that's really cool to hear. Thank you for sharing that because mm-hmm. I do think sometimes, especially when I'm trying to get good photos and I'm being mm-hmm. run into or something, right. I, I do get a little annoyed. And, and mm-hmm. I like I said, I get it. I'm not for all you parents listening. I promise I'm on your side. Mm-hmm. I'm one of you, but, um, mm-hmm. but at the same time, um, I love thinking about that, and, and hopefully for me and anyone listening, that'll that'll kind of remind us the next time something happens. Well, hey, this is the next generation of conservationists, and if they're so, falling in love and can't even control themselves as they're running up to the glass or whatever, that's that's actually pretty it's, great. It's actually a good thing. Yeah, I, I, I you know, it's the kids. I, I, not that you say you want unbehaved children in, in, no, in no. a zoo, <laughs> but if you have kids that are that just can't control their excitement like that, and and they're running the path to get to the next animal, that's a great thing. It's awesome. That being said, I also think there's a huge advantage of doing adult-only programming. Um, it's something that we had started a little bit, um, and then COVID, you know, so much yeah. gets put on side. Um, but doing programming that is adult-only, I think, is terrific to be able to do seminar series and talks and um, just let adults be adults and and not have to worry about um, kids around, I think is sometimes great. That's really cool, actually, because um, I'm not going to lie. I I get jealous sometimes. I'll get an email from a zoo Mm -hmm. and they'll talk about, you know, keeper for a day activity or something Mm -hmm. like this. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to sign up. And it's like five to 12. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm, 
I'm not that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, 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 you know, I encourage you to keep doing that, and I hope uh, other zoos would would follow because I think there is a large community of adults that love animals and love zoos and and want to be more involved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but sometimes can't. So that's really right. cool. And and sometimes it's just not. Sometimes volunteering is just not feasible. For everybody, from you know job commitments or uh, physical limitations or whatever, um, sometimes it's just a, a, a limitation uh, of that. So um, I definitely think you know hopefully in the future that's something that we can go back to and, and do more adult programming. Awesome, yeah, yeah. I know I would love to volunteer. I would love to volunteer here, but mm-hmm. um, and hey, I know the volunteer coordinator exactly. But um, I'm on the road most of the time, right. and I, you know, maybe right now I could do it for a little bit, but I can't commit to a a schedule, right? Because I'll be gone for weeks or months at a time, you know. And so many people can't, and and it's yeah. one of the things that the world of volunteering has changed in in zoos dramatically. That it used to be, we used to get a, a, a lot of a lot of retired folks. They would retire and they would become docents at zoos or museums or you know the art museum or something like that. But now retired people are, you know, they're more active than some people working, and and they're they're, they're traveling or they're watching grandkids or, um, you know, they're very social. So the world of volunteering has has dramatically changed and. It would be interesting. I don't have an answer. I don't have a magic answer, but it would be interesting to figure out what that magic thing is to be able to allow adults to volunteer when you can't make that full commitment like right. that. Right. Yeah, definitely. Beyond the, you know, a one-off saying, "Hey, help us with this." Right, yeah. right. Yeah, no, that would be that that's yeah, always a good thing to be trying to figure out. That's really cool. Um yeah, I've actually uh, just since you guys reopened um and started letting volunteers come back, you have a new volunteer here and I don't know her name, but um I have enjoyed watching her grow mm-hmm. because I've been here like three or four times and the first day that I was here, she was literally afraid. Mm-hmm. of her own volunteering and she she was talking to people when they talked to her and she was shying away and i remember um she was in trail of the jaguar and i walked in and she literally had a look on her face like oh don't talk to me don't talk to me don't talk to me <laughs> and um and then she uh um i i asked if she knew which one of the uh jaguars was on the one you know, display because Inca and Luna, the the two females, both have that heart shape, and it's right. sometimes hard for me to tell the two apart. And um, she was like, "I think it's Zian," and I was like, "There are there are parts that are missing that are <laughs> nope, 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 nope. It's pretty obvious. It's not." But I didn't say any, you know, of right. course. Mm-hmm. But and then the last time I was here, which was only a week or two later, she was walking up to people. She was like, "This is this one. This is this one. That one's off mm-hmm. exhibit." And I was like, "Girl, like you don't even know, but I am so proud of you right, right. now." That's awesome. I love seeing that kind of thing, and that says a lot about you know how you guys work with them and get them on board too. And um, and I, I just I, I think you guys do a great job with all that here. It's really cool to see that. You know, we we um, onboarded a lot of team volunteers this spring, and as I told them, it's not the way I normally would fully onboard. Like anybody else, we did a lot virtually videos. Um, and one of the things when you when you bring in teen volunteers is sometimes they just they they've got the passion, they've got the desire, it's there. And you know, I always think it's terrific that a teenager is willing to volunteer. When I you know when I was sixteen, I, I wasn't volunteering right, anywhere. Right. You know, I was on my couch. You know, I wasn't, um, but they, to give them the confidence that they have the knowledge that they can talk, they can be empowered, they can be an expert is just so cool to watch. That's awesome. Um, and speaking of, of cool things that you guys are doing, that's kind of unique. 
tell me all about being a certified autism center. Because when I mm-hmm. saw this, oh, so proud. So I have mm-hmm. such pride in this zoo, and I'm just I'm just a member. But mm-hmm. I just this is so cool. So um, for people that don't know what that means or how that works, uh, tell me tell us about that. Absolutely, that's probably. Uh, one of the things we're most proud of is we, it's going on three years now, we were the uh, very first zoo in the nation, um, actually very first zoo in the world, to become autism certified. Wow. A lot of zoos have become certified now. Um, but what that meant was that we, number one, put a commitment into being more accessible and approachable. Um, with being autism certified, it means that every single one of our staff members goes through autism training of how to engage with guests with autism um, how to make it a better experience for guests with autism, how to handle the situation if you have a, a guest um, who has special needs. So certification says that every single one of our staff goes through this training, um, and we've all been through it. We also made the commitment to significantly improve our programming and just the zoo as a whole is accessibility. And this is something we're still working on, still growing, and, and, and probably will be for a while. Um, but we created social stories on our websites, um, for children with autism to prepare. We have sensory guides for each one of our buildings. So, you know, going into Trail of Jag that it might be noisy because it's a building and it's a little bit enclosed. Chances are there's not going to be a high smell in that building where you might get a smell in Wildlife Lodge because there's, you know, some open air primate exhibits. Um, so to prepare people in sensory, we also, um created sensory backpacks that any one of the guests, any guests can check out for free. So it has headphones in it. It has um, fidget spinners. It's got putty. It's got all sorts of things that if you come with your child that um, just is, is having a little bit of a challenge, you can check it out for free. We've got it. Uh, you know, That's we, awesome. We, we built a quiet space. Um, we also changed um, behind the scenes. We also partnered with six different schools to deliver programming specifically to kids with special needs. Um, so that was something we made a commitment to. We brought in volunteer groups. We have four or five groups from different schools with kids with special needs to volunteer. Um, and then we started access days. So we opened, it's usually the first Saturday of every month that we open from nine to 10 and very much like as people are seeing now, um, hours for seniors or at risk, we did it particularly for um, those that ha- may have a special need of some time. So any kind that you just need a quieter visit to the zoo. So it's something that we really work really, really hard on. In fact, I just had a um, meeting about a, a week ago with somebody from the Federation for the Blind um, to help us start to perceive how we can make changes for um, those that are visually impaired. Um, and it was incredibly enlightening because you, you know as a as a sighted person you have this impression that oh well if we just put braille or if we just do audio tours but i didn't think anything about having yellow tape on stairs so they could see it if you're visually impaired oh, wow. to be able to you know there were things like that that like they're like yeah okay fine you can do that stuff but here this is what you really need um so it's really really eye opening and it's something that we're hoping to continue to grow, that we we want the zoo to be accessible to everybody, regardless of whatever your ability, whatever your background is, we would like the zoo to be accessible. That's really awesome. Great job with that. Thank That's you. so cool. Um, so I'm, I'm curious. Um, 
you uh, you said that you work with uh, ambassador animals, and mm-hmm. you guys have a huge collection. I've, I've talked to people at zoos that are three, four times the size that have maybe 50 to 70 ambassador mm-hmm. animals, so that's incredible. Um, tell me about some of your ambassador animals, and, and what I like to do with this podcast with, with the animal stuff is tell me names, tell me personalities, like tell me stories if you've got them, mm-hmm. help people connect with the animal one-on-one. Sure. Um, so we have, we have a, a really unique collection. Um, everything from, um, one of our newest animals, we just got a, um, a new Kawadi in. Her name is Dottie. She is gorgeous. She is gorgeous. She is awesome. She loves stinky feet. Um, (laughs) she, the stinkier your shoes are, the more she loves it. Um, so she's four years old, and she joined our education ambassador uh, group. So she is right now doing training demonstrations for people um, within our exhibit, but we'll eventually be able to come out and do training demonstrations. Um, so she's even one of our newest. Um, one of our other new, we, we just got a new a new baby skunk in. Um, his name is Pesto. I am so excited to see Pesto eventually. Pesto is super cute and, and um, super tiny and really for us skunks are important to be part of our collection to demystify them and and talk about how important they are. Um, so everything like that to, we go on up to, we do have two bald eagles, education bald eagles, which is really rare. Not, um, not a lot of zoos have education eagles and, uh, we do have exhibit eagles as well. We have, um, six exhibit bald eagles and six and two, uh, golden eagles, but our, our two education eagles are, um, ambassadors that they go to a variety of things. Now, Noah and Reggie also are the live mascots of the Philadelphia Eagles. So they do go to every home game, hoping this year. Yeah, right. Maybe. Uh, Normally they would be going to training camp about now. Um, But they also do things like we go to the birthday party for the army at city hall and, and, and represent, but to have that chance for them to go out and, just have people learn about eagles is is pretty cool. Um, and they're you know they're two entirely different personalities. They are both non-releasable rescues, so they both have some reason that they have to be in a zoo. Um, Noah is missing his left eye, so he can't hunt on his own. Um, but he is fully flighted. And Reggie is missing part of his wing, probably hit by a truck. We think um, he came from Wisconsin originally. Um, but what's amazing working with them is how incredibly different their personalities are. Um, Reggie's just very laid back and he's like, okay, Hey, whatever you want me to do this now. Got it. No problem. Uh, where Noah's much more that of what you would think an Eagle's personality would right. be like, okay, I'm ready. Let's, let's go. Yeah. Um, but they have, they have a, an in, incredibly different uh, range of personalities between, between all of them. And of course, as we mentioned, Pokey, the porcupine, who's the best porcupine ever, 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 ever. Um, so, uh, who is just absolutely adorable. And Pokey was here, he was hand-reared because his mom passed away shortly after he was born. So gotcha. he was hand-reared here, which made him, um, just even, even more special. Yeah. I got to feed Pokey a little bit. Pokey is a, a good little, good little porcupine. He's, One of my all-time awesome favorites. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have a question for when you're training, um, ambassador animals, especially mm-hmm. when it's something like an eagle, uh, what kind of process do you go through with the training? So that's a really great question. We have, um, we're really lucky. We have a staff member who is just an excellent, excellent trainer. Her name is also Laura. Um, and she has gone through uh, multiple training programs and, um, to be able to 
improve her skills. And she, she's incredible of what she's been able to do. Um, when we, Reggie, for example, Reggie, the bald Eagle, he was at one point, he was an exhibit Eagle. So he was on exhibit. He was low man on the totem pole. He was getting a little bullied by the other Eagles. Um, and we had a female Eagle in education, Grace, who was missing one wing and Grace just, she just wasn't as comfortable being an ambassador. So uh, we worked with the keepers, and again, one of the advantages of a small zoo is I can work with the animal department and go, hey, I got an eagle, you got an eagle, do you want to swap? <laughs> and um, we're a bigger zoo that's much more of a process. We're right. not just, you know, a radio call away of going, hey, you want to swap eagles? <laughs> and um, so we did. We swapped. Grace went on to exhibit where she is ruling and now the queen diva of the exhibit. And Reggie came into education. But it took, took her um, – Reggie probably was about an entire year to get him to a point uh, where he was comfortable and and going through it. But it's, it starts with building the trust, and then it's it's step-by-step, step, getting them one little thing, getting them used to, um, for Reggie, he had to get used to stepping up on the glove, had to get used to stepping onto a table, had to get used to stepping into a crate, had to get used to the crate door closed, um, to now, um, actually about a month ago, <laughs> we had them the crazy things you do with your job, we had them getting ready for the season. So we were playing um, kind of loudly in speakers, all the, like the NFL theme, <laughs> Philadelphia Eagles flights, a fight song, <laughs> crowd noise. So uh, just to get them ready for the season. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And I guess Laura must be a really good trainer because um, I imagine it would be really hard to get someone from Wisconsin to go from being a Packers fan to an Eagles fan. Exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. Now, he is named Reggie. Now, technically, he's named after the Raptor Education Center, but, you know, for us, it's Reggie White. Of course, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so you talked about uh, Elmwood Park Zoo expanding and, mm -hmm. and a lot of growth. And I know that before COVID hit, you guys just announced that tigers are coming to the zoo. Exactly. Um, are tigers still coming to the zoo? Tigers are still coming to the zoo. Amazing. Tell me. Tell me. So I'm curious about two things. I'm curious about how that specifically happened. Mm -hmm. But then I'm also curious. I really want to know what the process is of like. There are, you know, millions of species out there. And how is it decided that y'all are getting tigers? And how do you figure that out slash work that out with the AZA? And how do you go about building and designing a habitat? Just all of that. How does that happen? Right. So it's not an easy process. So one of the things that um, I think is hard for people to understand is you don't just, you know, say, mm, I think I'm going to have tigers tomorrow. That you have to make a decision. So what we do as an organization is... Um, a lot of organizations, not just zoos, work on master planning um, and strategic planning. Uh, for us, we're in the process of working on our master plan. So it's where do we want to be? What do we want to be in five years? What do we want to be in 10 years? What do we want to be in 15 and 20 years? Um, and we want want to and plan to expand. So we do, if you at all are familiar with the Norristown Zoo, there's Stony Creek runs next to the zoo. There's land on the other side of Stony Creek. So we own... Um, they have access to an additional almost 40 acres. So wow. we can get over 60 acres um, eventually. Um, it's not going to happen. Sorry. So these things, these processes take a lot of time. You have to take a look at what space you have, um, or in a case for us, what space you will have, and decide what exhibits are going to fit and work, and, and, and are you going to have a few anchors. And that also goes into where you want to be. So... 
when we when we took a look at what we were going to do as another anchor species, um, there were a few on the table. Um, for example, elephants, not a good choice for us. It's not. It's really. It's too big that we would need the space. Sure. For them. Um, also, the climate here. You need a lot of indoors, so it's not the best fit for the space. Um, when you look at um, lions, is another one. The Elmwood Park Zoo back in the day had lions, and our CEO in particular was very interested in having lions again. But again, we looked at like, well, how much space do we need? Is there a need in the AZA? Does AZA need more zoos to have lions for breeding programs? Um, and you may have talked about it in, in your other podcast of the um, SSP, which is the Species Survival Plan, which basically talks about the genetic necessity for the species to continue breeding and um, the genetic matches and things like that. So do you need another spot for lions? Um, at the moment, there's... There are a lot of lions in AZA, right. so there's not necessarily a need uh, for it. And again, this type of space, so those factors go in, and you also go into what you know what your messaging may be. Um, sometimes you make decisions based on, uh, you know, we want to go all South American or we want to go all African. Sometimes those are the decisions, um, and then it also it goes into is there staff that has experience with that animal or how hard would it be to get staff with that experience? Uh, so all of those factors go in. And then of course you, you know, to some degree it goes down to funding. It's a heck of a lot easier to build a <laughs> exhibit for a Kawadi <laughs> um, <laughs> than it is for, for a tiger. So when we looked at some of the larger species, um, one that we felt that we could make an impact with was um, tigers um, there's actually a lot of need in AZA, so there's a lot. Of, there's not as much need for places to breed tigers, um, but there is need for places for the male tigers to go after they're no longer actively breeding. Sure. So in AZA's, uh, very often it, it's the male that travels to the female, and they only stay for a year or two because of the importance for genetic diversity. So they move. They move on, but there comes a point where. They're not moving on, and you need a spot for that. So there's a lot of need for that. So that was something we thought, well, well that might be a nice niche for us. Um, we weren't particularly going to build a space to breed tigers, but it would be we would be a good niche to be the the you know next stop. The retirement home, the retirement home, exactly. Yeah. Um, for some, so that was a consideration. Um, and you know, to some degree, it goes in donor interest. You know, if you have a donor that's particularly interested in something and it lines up to what you're interested in, um, we're, we're all nonprofits. And, right, <laughs> and so right. sometimes that goes into a fact, too. Um, so once we checked off all the boxes that this is one that we felt we could build an exhibit for, we think, you know, climate, we could provide a good welfare situation. Um, yes, Philly has tigers, but, you know, some of our next closest zoo, like Lehigh Valley, doesn't. So the area is not saturated with tigers. Um, it's a good conservation message. All of that went into saying, yeah, I think that's the right fit. Yeah. So the goal is still to have them, um, awesome. still working on it. Um, hopefully within, within three to five years, we'll be able to, um, have a new vet hospital. Amazing. Um, Michelle will be so happy. Yes, exactly. Um, to have a new vet hospital, um, a new tiger exhibit, um, and then ultimately a new education building as well. And, um, and then move on for other exhibits from there. 
Very cool. Um, do you know if you're going to do Sumatran or Ammer, or is that still undecided? Um, we would do Ammer. Yay, Ammer mm-hmm. are my favorite. Yeah, I'm we, so excited. That's yeah, awesome. We would, we would most likely do Ammer. Okay, very cool. Very mm-hmm. cool. Um, I love hearing about how much of a, a plan you guys have. That's that's so mm-hmm. cool to know. You know, as as you're walking through, seeing what's here now, just how much you guys already have a vision, and I just I love. I can't wait to see all this. That's yeah, we cool. we do. We have a definite vision of where we're going, and one of the things that we're really holding on to as well is even if we do eventually get to 60 acres, which you know we all hope that we can eventually expand to that, that we aren't able to keep the boutique feel, the small feel, because one of the things that I love most about Elmwood Park Zoo is that you feel very connected to the staff, the, the animals, the grounds. Um, you feel when you're a member, people feel like they, they really do belong to the zoo. They, Big and, time, yes. Big and time. we want to make sure that we, we continue that, even if we get bigger. Um, everything from one of the ideas we have is keeping the heart of what the zoo is now and keeping that and then, you know, having other exhibits in other areas. So, you know, say you just want to come and visit this piece, uh, then that's possible. Um, so that's something that's really important to us. But yeah, we do, it's all, it's all in master planning. Um, it's, you have to get some of your bigger anchor species where you want to go. Cause then if you're going to build a tiger exhibit, you need a certain amount of space. And then what space does that leave for something else? And it's, you know, it's a chessboard. If I right. put this there, that there, and to some degree, you know, it's also availability, um, availability of animals. Um, I, many zoos in the country would love to have polar bears and they're just not available. Right. Yeah. I know mm-hmm. that when Philly um, lost Goldilocks, mm-hmm. um, who was, I think the oldest uh, bear in captivity yeah, at the time. She was. Um, I, I know that they just said like, we just can't get another polar bear. And they set up that ama- amazing, they have a penguin point. Right. Now, and it's mm-hmm. awesome. I love it there. But um, I remember they had signs up that were like, are we going to get another polar bear? No, no, there are none to get. Trust mm-hmm. me. We, we wish we could, but mm-hmm. nope. Sorry. Um, and I, I thought that was really interesting, but I also really appreciated their transparency. Yeah, there, there's that. there's literally none. And, and Philly, even if they had, um, um, you know, because they would have redone the exhibit and things like that, um, even if they had, they they would have been, you know, six, seven, eighth on the list of zoos that were waiting. And they they just aren't out there. And, and that's all the regulations between Canada and the U.S. and importing polar bears. And um, so it's only if they're born in zoos and... They have one and not a whole lot born. So right, yeah, mm-hmm. no, makes sense. Although, yay, Columbus for having a, a polar bear cub, right? Oh now. yeah, exactly. so good, so good. Um, cool. So, um, let me see. Is there anything else that you wanted to tell before we get to our fun little otter story? Um, oh, I don't know. I I, I think one of the, I probably would share with folks that it's working at a zoo is really probably one of the most dynamic sometimes frustrating, but also amazing things to be able to do. Um, there's never a day I'm never bored. There's never a day, <laughs> you know, I hear, I hear friends that talk about like, well, you know, I was shopping for shoes on my lunch break. And I'm like, you got a lunch break. <laughs> oh, and you wear shoes other than sneakers and hiking boots. Okay. There you go. So there, um, so I, I think that it's, it's such an incredible group of people. Uh, in fact, when we're recording this, it's national zookeeper week. Um, it's such an incredible group of people in this field. And I think people don't realize that we're also not competitive. So people assume that Elmwood Park Zoo, um, competes with Philly Zoo and we, we don't, we're all part of the same, 
the same family. We're all there for the same goals. Uh, we work together. We, I can call up on a regular basis people at Philly Zoo and say, hey, I have a question about this. And they do the same. And um, So I think that that's something that people don't realize is that it's not about competition for us. It's all about advancing the purpose. And we all have similar missions or similar goals and advancing that goal so that we don't compete with each other. That's awesome. Yeah, I know um, uh, Zoe is on the um – uh, I don't know the actual name of it, but it's a, a vet list serve mm-hmm. and vets from zoos all around the country. Whenever there's an issue, just post and yeah. Hey, has anyone ever experienced this? Has anyone ever, Hey, try this. This worked for me. And it is the coolest collaboration. And you mm-hmm. think, you know, there aren't that many zoo vet jobs. You would think that these people would be a little cutthroat and wanting to get, you know, up to the better jobs and all that stuff. But no, they all just care about animals and share yeah. that information. And, um, I love that. That that makes me really happy. So when we, um, so during, um, COVID, one of the things, again, we were trying to figure out ways to make money. Um, one of the things we did was we, we launched cameos. So a cameo, very much like you may see them with the, uh, stars and things like that is that you could have a giraffe come to your Zoom meeting and we would Zoom in with you for 15 minutes and let the giraffe eat and answer questions. Um, we did it with multiple animals. The giraffe was probably the most dramatic. Um, <laughs> though we, we have people who wanted to cameo all sorts of animals. But yeah, so we... we uh, Slash did not cooperate for his cameos, I will say. Oh, I'm he sure was, he did. He did not cooperate. Um, I didn't but, realize that Slash was available. I would have tried. I would. Have, I would. I'd, I would have given you money for that. Yeah, we we we, we didn't promote Slash because Slash. I was, was going to say. Uh, I feel like I looked and he wasn't available. <laughs> I love yeah, that we, panda. We we did not promote him. Um, we had a cu- we had a couple people request, and we were just honest with them from the beginning and said, "Look, this is that's amazing. We'll, we'll do it, but here's what you can expect. Uh, you've got about two minutes when he's eating a snack, and then he's either going to go to sleep or he's just going to walk away and be done with us." Um. But so when we launched the cameos again, my, my poor staff and me going, I think we should do this. And I, I, I caught up our, our marketing department and, and I and I said, let's do this. And we set up as within the space of it. I swear we launched it all in 15 minutes with a space of like, Hey, we should do this. This is a really cool idea. Great. Let's do it. I sent out a zoom meeting request to, one of my friends, my boyfriend, somebody in marketing, somebody like just a variety of people. I'm like, okay, we're going to test it. Ready? <laughs> Here we go. And like, my friends are like, what, what's going on? Why are we doing this? And so we ended up doing it. We launched it and it, it was, it was really successful. We've done over 300 distance learning near cameos. It's been an opportunity to a raise awareness about the zoo, but also right. bring in revenue when we didn't have it and continue to educate. Um, but when we were, um, so we had had these up for, I don't know, a month or so, um, maybe slightly longer. And I get an email from the Maryland Zoo that says, hey, we saw you had cameos. We're thinking about doing them. Would you mind chatting with us? And, you know, it's a zoo. We don't, absolutely. We set up a cameo form. We showed them how to do it. We sent them our, here's our, our SOPs of how we're doing it. Here's how we're pricing it. Good luck. And it just isn't, it just isn't the competition there. We're right. happy to, you know, pitch in and help and um, you know, hopefully they, I don't actually know if they launched, but hopefully they launched a successful <laughs> one and, um, and then we go from there. That's awesome. I, I love that so much. Thank you for sharing that. And I just want to put it out there. If you ever want to practice trying cameos with Slash, I've got Zoom. I'm exactly, just saying. <laughs> I'm exactly. here for you. 
Um, I know it would go horribly, but I would still be happy. I, mm-hmm. I love that boy. So anyway, um, I have kept you long enough, but I do want to have one last thing on here. Sure. Which is uh, you guys have a new otter here at the zoo. We do. And um, I, I would say her name, but she doesn't have one yet. There is a, a naming, I guess, contest going on right now. There is. So there is actively a naming contest going on right now. Um, and I will say that her companion's name is Rocky. And we we just out on the list was Adrian, and we sort of thought that would be the hands down winner, and it is not even in the lead at the moment. So okay. Um, so what's in the lead right now? I'm curious. So in the lead at the moment um, is Piper. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. So I want you to tell me the whole story because before we started recording, you told me a funny story about onboarding her, mm-hmm. and then I know there were some interesting. Uh, behavior challenges i guess you would say um when she first got here so just just tell me all about possibly piper sure so um it's one of the things that i think people don't realize is is how we get animals at at the zoo so um almost all of our animals are um born in zoos uh for the most part it's a very small percentage that are not um our bald eagles are a great example um they're non-releasable rescues so they they were wild but they can't be can't survive on their own um, but sometimes there's situations where um, an animal, for whatever reason, um, comes into a zoo or a rehab facility and can't be released. Um, so we were looking for a companion. So um, Rocky lost Aria, his companion, uh, probably a little over a year ago, I would say, at this point. And we were looking for another companion. Otters live in groups. They live together. And when you do that, you do everything from putting it out on some of the zoo serves and very much like you said, the vet ones, there's ones for curators and animal collections. And you put them out there and you say, hey, I'm looking for, um, in search of, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Wait, you guys of, have tender for animals? <laughs> exactly. In search of, swipe right. Um, so we, we put it out there that we were looking for it. And um, we were able to f- connect with Mississippi Aquarium that had a young otter who had um, been born in the wild, rescued, rehabilitated, but unable to be released. Um, So they were looking for a home for her. Um, Coincidentally, we had originally connected with them because we were looking for a home to place our canary wing parakeets that were in our birdhouse. So we were looking to place them, and it was kind of like, hey, I've got parakeets, you've got an otter, you want to swap? (laughs) And um, I love that so much. So... It worked out great that they that we had something they wanted and they had something they wanted. Um, so we worked out transport. Now transport for animals can happen in a variety of ways. We can um, we'll, we'll sometimes fly them um, when it's safe. Sometimes you have to drive to pick them up, um, or believe it or not, you, you know, with some reptiles you can even overnight in FedEx. Um, but, um, so in this situation, since it was on the East coast, which is always preferable, if we can get one that we can, we can drive, you prefer not to fly if you don't have to. Um, we made arrangements with them and said, well, you're Mississippi, you know, we're, we're up in Pennsylvania. Why don't we meet halfway in North Carolina and we can, we can swap animals. Uh, so very much like, you know, picking up the kid and, and doing the kid swap. <laughs> um, we made arrangements, uh, for a location for us to be able to swap swap animals. So we had a team drive down, um, to North Carolina, delivered the birds to them, traded. We took the otter back 
Okay, so I'm going to interrupt for one second because I just, I need to picture this. Is this like happening in a mall parking lot or do you go to an actual like a zoo or facility for something? Or I'm just picturing this going down like a drug deal in a parking lot except it's animals. Yeah. Yeah. We usually try to find a facility that we can do it or secluded. um, For example, like if it's, if it's a hotel that somebody's staying at, um, not, not a mall parking lot. (laughs) Okay. But I feel like a hotel parking lot's pretty close. close. Um, So we made arrangements to, and when you take them down, you have to, you know, you have to make your they have to have food and water and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so we swapped and um, they took our birds and went on their way back to Mississippi. Um, and we took the otter and we're heading back um, from North Carolina to Pennsylvania. And the van broke down on the side of the road in North Carolina <laughs> at nine o'clock on a Sunday night. Um, so our staff members call, you know, our staff's calling us and you know, it's not, you're trying to find a local tow. We, we called AAA, who, who, you know, <laughs> things like that. Um, and you're calling AAA and imagine that call to AAA is like, look, it's a van, it's a zoo van and there's an otter in the back. <laughs> um, so not exactly an easy call to make. Um, and we were, you know, we were a little worried. We we're trying to figure out, I'm like, okay, we, we, you know, where do you go? Can we, can we drive down and get them? And you know, North Carolina, that's like nine hours at this point, seven, nine hours. So we put it out on um, Facebook to some of the zoo groups, and we put out a plea for help and said, hey, can anybody help us? Is anybody in North Carolina that can help us? And we had some wonderful folks from the Greensboro Science Center who just said, we will be there. And they went, they drove, they picked up not only our staff, but our otter. Amazing. And then they took them back to their house, um, had let them stay there overnight, with an otter. Amazing. Let them see, you know, that they weren't prepared for. I mean, right, you right, know, yeah. exactly. Unexpected and otter. Unexpected yeah. otter. Let them stay there overnight. They helped us make arrangements for the tow. They, they're even nice enough that they're going to, because the car had to be repaired down in North Carolina, that they were nice enough to, um, you know, go pick up the car to then store it back at the, the facility. Um, it's just, it's that kind of, it's that kind of business. It's that kind of a group of people. Um, and, you know, helped us and we were able to get a rental van and, the otter was safely delivered. Um, when she was delivered, her and Rocky got along instantly. She See? loves Rocky. Yes, she, she does. is addicted to Rocky. I mean, she mm-hmm. follows him around endlessly. It's amazing to see. Yeah, and and Rocky is you know about ten years older than she is, so he's an older man, and she's following him around. That's great. But we had a little bit of an issue when she first came in because you just assume. Um, if you don't know that you just assume that, okay, an animal comes in and they go out on exhibit and everything is great and fantastic. Um, but she was afraid of the pool and didn't want to swim and and she's an otter. It's kind of part of being an otter. (laughs) Um, so we, it took a couple of weeks when she first came in trying to get her comfortable to be able to swim. We knew she could swim because in the very first day we put her in. She didn't, wouldn't go in the big pool, but she went into a bucket of water and, and swam. So we were pretty sure she could swim. And then um, we gave her a, a larger tub and she would swim around that. I have some pictures of that. Yeah. It is adorable. Super cute. Swim around that. So we knew she could swim. We knew it wasn't the issue. And Rocky kept trying to go in and showing her. Um, she would put her head in and then not go in and... She kind of slipped in once or twice, and that was it. But uh, finally, this week, she is swimming, and we are happy that she is swimming in her pool and that she's been able to embrace it. So 
she's had quite an adventure to get here. That's awesome. Yeah, it's so great. The The first time that I came and saw her, I think it was her first day on exhibit, and um, she was in her little like um, mini pool, which mm-hmm. I just thought it was so sweet that you guys even set that up so she would have a she place. Had a mini pool. I, I, again, I just I love that kind of thing. Um, and then the second time I came, she would she would try to follow Rocky when he was in the water. And he, she would get all the way in until her back feet were just clenched. Mm-hmm. And you could see her muscles straining to stay so she wouldn't go in. But she would go in. Like, she'd stick her head under. And then, um, you know, she would uh, she would not be able to go the rest of the way, though. She was too right. afraid. And uh, I, I was here with uh, Zoe and our friend Sarah Jane. And we were watching. We were literally cheering her on. Come on. You can do it, baby girl. Right. Come on. We have faith mm-hmm. in you. And it, it didn't work. And then the next time I was here, she was in the pool playing with Rocky. And I squealed. Yeah. That's the only word for it. That is the noise that I made. And I took a picture and I sent it to uh, to Zoe and Sarah Jane immediately. And um, I just – that kind of thing is mm-hmm. just magical. And it happens at zoos uh, – Every day. Right. Every day. You know, it's it's so awesome. Um, so so thank you for sharing all of that. I have a tradition. I like to end every interview with what I call a poop story. Oh. Okay. Almost every keeper has a, a disgusting story. Yep. And it doesn't have to be poop, but it's almost always mm-hmm. poop. So do you have a, a poop story you would like to share with the world? I do. I think so mine's not poop, but probably equally, if not more disgusting. Perfect. Um Probably my my favorite was um, I'm a huge fan of vultures. I, I love vultures, and I've been lucky in my career to uh, work with several vultures, um, including uh, a turkey vulture. When I was at Philly Zoo, wonderful bird was awesome, and um, I had the turkey vulture out at a super swanky donor event. Uh, we were raising funds for something I don't recall at the moment. And, you know, everybody was sort of fancy dressed. There was champagne on the tables. That was great. And I had the turkey vulture out and I had worked with this turkey vulture before. I mean, it wasn't a new partnership. We'd worked together and whatever that turkey vulture was just not, was ready or just, it was the right moment. And she projectile vomited all over me. <laughs> and if you have never smelt that, wow. It's it's just and I was done I I was done for the night then because not only do I had projectile vomit all over me and I had to clean up the floor from her projectile vomiting, but I couldn't be near anybody because right. I just stunk so badly. Um but, you know, it's I'm proud to check that off my life list that I have been projectile vomited <laughs> on by a red tail or uh, uh, a um, turkey vulture. That's amazing. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for no sharing problem. that. Awesome. And thank you so much for doing this. Of course. Um, I hope we can can do another one and I'd, I'd love to talk to some of the keepers here and stuff. Absolutely. So, um, thank you guys for just uh, just everything that, that this zoo is for this community and and for me personally. I just Perfect. love it here. Well, thank you. Thank you for supporting us. Of I just can't with that otter story. Laura actually told me the tale as I was setting up the mics to record this episode, and I instantly begged her to share it with all of you. I'm so glad she did and was willing to give me so much time out of her day to put this episode together. Thank you so much, Laura. If you want to go see why I love Elmwood Park Zoo so much, check them out whenever you're around Norristown or the Philadelphia area. Visit them online at www.elmwoodparkzoo.org or check out their Instagram at Elmwood Park Zoo. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. 
please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Ross Safari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Ross Safari, on the web at rossafari.com, or email me directly at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.